Sam, thank you again. Um, we are going to have uh, a few minutes of Q&A, and um, just want to uh, remind everybody you can submit questions again using the Pigeonhole app, and we'll put that up here on the screen so you can continue to, um, to ask questions. Again, we'll have more time tomorrow, um, so continue uh, to be thinking about uh, things you've heard here tonight, and if there's more questions that we, uh, we have, we can uh, certainly come back to some of those tomorrow. Also just want to say thank you so much uh, to all of you. We had a lot of questions submitted, and so thank you, um, especially just given the topic and given the setting. Um, I just want to say thank you for entrusting us, even though I know many of those were uh, anonymous. Um, just as Sam said at the beginning of tonight, this is very personal. We um, may be facing some of these things in our own life, or they may be uh, affecting someone uh, that we love very much. And so I just want to say thank you for trusting us with your questions. We won't be able to get to all of them um, this evening. So um, Sam, we'll, uh, we'll start off with this question, um, which many people in the room um, were curious to know. If someone comes into the church and has married the same sex and becomes a new Christian, what should they do with the marriage? Okay, that, thank you for, for these questions. Um, I, I love that question. Don't you love that scenario? Um, that's what we, I mean, that's what will happen. We trust. Um, what do we do? Every single, pretty much today, we've we got to assume anyone who comes to, to faith in Christ as an adult today is bringing to Jesus a certain amount of relational mess. That's just the way we, we tend to be. And so part of what happens when someone comes to, to faith is all the, the kind of mess that they're bringing with them is, is to, to, to help Jesus, for Jesus to, to sort through that mess. And when it comes to some of the relational baggage that we bring with us, part of what Jesus wants to do is to put those relational things on a healthy biblical footing. And depending on the kind of relational complexity we bring, it, it may vary what the, the right biblical healthy footing will be for it to be put on. If it's, a, if it's an unmarried heterosexual couple, it may well be the healthy biblical fitting for that relationship to be put on is marriage, now that they're, if they're both believers now. For a couple of, of the same sex, um, it won't be appropriate for them as, as disciples of Jesus to, to still be romantically and sexually involved. So part of their repentance, part of their own cost of discipleship will be relating to each other no longer as, as lovers. Um, no longer as romantic partners. And if they are, in the eyes of the states or the, of the country or the law, legally married, then I take it that part of discipleship means they'll need to be legally unmarried. And this is, this is going to sound a little, a little harsh, but according to Matthew 19... They're not married in God's sight. And so I can, I can counsel in that situation a couple to be divorced without thinking I'm promoting divorce and, and undermining marriage because it's, it wasn't ever a marriage in God's sight. It was, a, it was a legal arrangement the state calls marriage. It is not what God is talking about when God describes marriage. That's not to, to demean the, the kind of the commitment and the, the sort of 
qualities we might see in, in some same-sex relationships. We're not saying that people can't be committed to each other, and I, I know many same-sex relationships where there's huge amounts of commitment. But it is to say that in the eyes of Jesus, that was never a marriage, and therefore it's, it's honoring to Jesus for that legal label to be taken off their relationship. Now, there's more to be said simply than, than just that because there's more issues they will need to face than merely whether they call their relationship a marriage or not. Um, so let me just tell you about two women at my own church in Nashville who were married, had been for many years, had two girls, uh, one through birth, one through adoption. And they came to, to faith in Christ about three years ago. Now they ended up at our church in, in Nashville Intentionally, they'd, they'd come to faith through the church's ministry online. Um, they'd been sneakily watching live streams and uh, felt drawn to Christ. And as it happened, the pastor of the church, a wonderful man called TJ, was the son-in-law of one of those women. And so these two ladies phoned up TJ and his wife and said, we realize we want to we want to come back to God and we want to come to church and actually we want to move to Nashville and join your church but we, we don't know how this works. What do we do? So TJ said, come and live with us and we'll, we'll figure this out together. And so he, he, TJ had been in construction before he was a pastor so he, he spent the summer building a an extension to the house, added some bedrooms and that kind of thing. And so this, these precious people could move in and, and immediately they, they had a bigger family. And they could begin to, to, to figure out what discipleship would look like now in the context of having this support around them. And I was catching up with these, these two wonderful uh, women several months after they'd, they'd moved uh, to Nashville and, and were following Jesus. And I said to them, I said, you, you were a couple for so many years and, and now you're, you're not a couple. You're, you're friends, but you're not a couple. Do you, do you miss it? Is, is, that, is, it? is that difficult? Having had that kind of relationship, no longer having that kind of relationship. And their answer was, they said, we are so much closer as sisters in Christ than we ever were as lovers. So they hadn't gone from in the eyes of our culture, a greater love into a lesser love. Our culture would look and say they, they've downgraded their relationship into just friendship. No, God has added to their family and actually given them a richer form of love than they had even as lovers. So lots, lots of other things to, to talk about, but I, I love that story. Great, thank you, Sam. Another question that many folks had was, if we are all created in the image of God, and some of us are born with feelings for the same sex, who are we to question or stigmatize those who are LGBT plus? Thank you. Um, the answer to the last part of that is, none of us should be stigmatizing anyone, because as Jesus says, we're all, we're all fallen in this area of life. And it's worth saying, all of us are born fallen. All of us are image bearers who have been born with certain feelings, 
certain intuitions, certain proclivities that are sinful. So one of the most, one of the most offensive things Jesus says, that we, we don't notice the offense of it because we've so domesticated the language, but one of the most offensive things Jesus ever said was, you must be born again. And we've kind of so turned the language of born again into a kind of, a, a kind of slightly sort of cheap Christian category. We miss what Jesus is saying. He is saying, you weren't born right the first time. So I can think of when one of my, my best friends first became a dad. Um, had a little baby girl. And I remember the first time he, he showed me his, his little baby daughter. And this was 15 years ago or so. I've now learned my lesson, okay? He showed me his little baby girl. I said, what do you think? What do you think? And I, I looked at her and I said, she looks like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> And in my defense, she did. <laughs> but I, I learned within about three seconds, you don't say that to a brand new, very proud father. <laughs> Even if she did. Um, <laughs> now, I think the only way I could have made that situation worse is if I'd, I'd looked at her and said to my friend, I think she needs to be born again. That is what Jesus says to every one of us. We weren't born right the first time. We were all born with, with dispositions and, and sinful tendencies. So this isn't an issue just for our LGBT friends. This is an issue for all of us. And so Jesus' remedy for all of us is to give us a new birth. That we need to be that kind of rebooted. That we need to be born again, this time from above. That we need to be, to be birthed not just by by a mother, but by, by heaven. So, and that, again, that's not specific to our LGBT friends, that's, that's a human issue for every single one of us. So again, we're in the same boat here. Another question, uh, what is a good way to respond if your child is attracted to the same sex? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say, what is the, the right way to respond when your child is any kind of sexual sinner? Which they will be. So that your child is going to have some form of sexual temptation, that your child is going to have some form of sexual feelings that they shouldn't have. So the question is, well, how do we respond to that generally? And we respond to that by going, well, that's the case for all of us. Uh, you, were, you were always going to be a sexual sinner. And Jesus has come to be good news for sexual sinners. That matters more than the particular species of sexual sinner that they happen to be. So we're not surprised that they're experiencing sexual feelings that they shouldn't because they were always going to. If it happens that those sexual feelings are towards people of the same sex, we think, okay, well, they're, they're still, <laughs> in one sense, that... That's not the big deal here. Because Jesus is, is more than enough for any of our, our sins, any of our temptations, and is going to be good news to that person. 
Now, this is, this is where... This is really, really significant because when a child shares with their parents that they are attracted to the same sex, what the parent says next is going to shape their relationship with that child for the next 20 years. And what I've seen too many times is, is the parent's immediate reaction is all about the parent. And it, it can be some version of, we're really disappointed. Or, you've got to know we don't approve of that. Or, what about your wedding? What about our grandkids? And it's often all about what the parent is going through and not actually about the child. So if you're a parent in this room, think through now, before it might be the time when it happens, think through now, what would be a really healthy Christian response if my child ever does disclose that? Some of you might be thinking, well, no child of mine would ever. And I'm sorry, but you can't say that. Um, If you feel embarrassed that your child is this kind of sexual sinner rather than the, the normal kind of sexual sinner, I don't think you've understood the gospel, my friend. And if your child sees that embarrassment, you're going to make it harder for them to believe the gospel. So we need to respond in a way that is is an embodiment of grace and truth. And again, we need to be responding in a way that says, listen, Jesus has had more than enough grace for my sin. And so whatever you are going through, whatever you might go through, whatever you might end up doing in your life, there is always going to be more grace in Jesus than there is sin in us. So I hope that helps with that. Sam, I want to ask one more question before we um, end tonight. And uh, the question is basically how have you personally dealt with um, kind of ongoing feelings and thoughts related to same-sex attraction in your life? Yeah, thank you. That's a, that's a good question. I'll, I'll try to give an honest answer. Um, the, the Bible has various things for all of us when it comes to <coughs> our ongoing battles with sin. Um, the first thing the Bible tells us to expect is that we will all have ongoing battles with sin. That's That's normal in the Christian life. Um, We're to expect that. Um, We we have a new spirit within us. We have a new heart in Christ. Our minds are being renewed, but the old self is still kicking around. He hasn't gone yet. And so we still feel the tug of sin in our lives. Um, It's as if we've got new creation software, but we're still running it on old creation hardware. And so we still experience temptation. The New Testament assumes we will experience temptation. So that's the first thing to note, that if you're you're feeling yourself to be still tempted by sin, that's entirely normal. That's not a sign that everything's gone wrong in your Christian life. That's just a sign that you're still not in heaven yet. The second thing is that we are to 
we're to fight sin in our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 8 talks about putting to death the misdeeds of the flesh. There's a sense in which we're, we're on a kind of search and destroy mission in our own hearts when it comes to sin. That's an ongoing process. That's not a, I've, I've, I've done that now. I've, I've killed all the misdeeds of the flesh. I'm done now. That was, you know, did that three years ago and haven't sinned since. Um, that, that's an ongoing thing. It, it's always going to be there. It's going to be like that sort of whack-a-mole game where every time you see a, another sin, you've got to kill it. Um, it's painful. So there's, there's going to be a war inside each one of us. Galatians 5 talks about this, that the deeds of the flesh are, are in contradiction to the fruit of the Spirit, and the two are at war. And so if you feel yourself constantly, oh man, I'm just constantly having to fight sin, that's a good sign. The worrying sign is when you don't think you have sin to fight. The sign that the Spirit is working in your life isn't that there's, 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 there's peace in the land, that the sign is there's almighty warfare going on within you. That's a good sign. So for me, that, that's part of, of, of my own journey with this, is, is thinking through, okay, if I, if I feel just the, the, beginning, the beginnings of, of temptation, I need to respond to that. I, I need to, to flee temptation. I need to, to put it to death. I need to resist it. First uh, Corinthians 10 tells me that I can do that. Um, that God won't subject us to more temptation than we can, than he will help us to stand under it. It doesn't mean the temptation will, will disappear, but it means that God will give us the grace to stand and he, he will always give us a way out of it. We never have to sin. So however besetting the sin may be, however kind of constant the temptation may feel, it's not inevitable that we're always going to be sinning. We never have to sin. That's no longer who we truly are in Jesus. And so for me, it's, it's trying to know my own heart so that I can, I can sense the early signs of, of what might become a sinful desire. Um, it helps to have brothers walking alongside me. I spoke to my pastor, TJ, this morning, precisely because I made a new friend in the last few weeks who I feel an unusual level of affection for. And I said to, to, to TJ this morning, I said... I don't think it's unhealthy what I'm feeling. I don't sense anything romantic or physical, but I, I love a guy. But I don't want to assume that I'm, you know, I don't want to assume that I'm right on this. So I want to be transparent. And I, I, want, I want your eyes on my friendship here. I want to make sure this is a healthy friendship and not an unhealthy friendship. And I don't want to just be trusting my own judgment on that because the heart is deceitful above all things. I need some other pairs of eyes on this too because they're going to be more objective than I am and so I've given TJ the, the controls and so if you think I need to spend less time in this if, whatever you think I need to do with this friendship I'm going to, I will go with what you think because you're going to be a bit more objective on this than I am so and here's the other thing, is we're not going to be able to say no to sin unless we're saying yes to something more compelling. And so the something more compelling to me is I'm never going to 
resist sin unless I love Jesus more than the thing I'm being tempted by. And if I find myself tempted towards unhealthy forms of same-sex intimacy, the answer to that is to be more attracted to the intimacy I have with Jesus. I'd say he needs to be more beautiful to me than, well, to be honest, he needs to be more beautiful to me than a boyfriend would be. And so, again, the scriptures help me here because, because I know that when I see Jesus face to face, when I get to look him in the eye, I'm not going to think, I wish I'd dated a few more guys. <laughs> when I see Jesus eye to eye, that will be the time when I realize every act of obedience was so worth it. Every act of disobedience was just the most stupid thing on the planet. So he's always got to be more compelling to us than sin. Otherwise, we're not going to say no to sin. We need to, our hearts need to, need to love something. And so we need to, to be loving Jesus more and more. Great. Thank you, Sam. Y'all give Sam a big round of applause just to say thank you.